0: temperature, uh, for this, the third week. And I want you to know, I believe God really likes this message, uh, because he likes people to be hot for him. But I'll tell you, uh, I I feel pretty certain. I said this kind of on the video this morning when I was, uh, when I first got here. And I, I believe the devil, he really doesn't like this message. And I'm pretty happy about that. You know, I, that makes me happy. I like i like irritating the devil. Uh, one of my friends is a evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth, And I remember the first little clip I ever saw of him was on his Twitter page, and it said, I create problems for the devil professionally. I'm like, I don't know who that is, but I like that guy. You know, I create problems for the devil professionally. And that, that should be all of us, that we all create problems for the devil, and we advance the kingdom for God. So here's how you do that. If you just go through life and you're just living average and you're not sticking out to the world, you're not peculiar, you're probably not hot for God. Yeah. When you're hot for God, you become peculiar. Now, we're not trying to be peculiar on purpose. There's some people just try to be weird for weird sake. Not trying to do that. We're just trying to be on fire for God. If you're on fire for God, think about this. Um, You know, people that are married now, when you first met your uh, spouse, right? And you were kind of got on fire for that person. What did you think about day in and day out? That, that, that person. They, you were consumed with a passion for that person. See, when we become consumed with a passion for God, the temperature of our living rises. And it's hard for us not to talk about God. It's hard for us not to carry the heat and the fire of God. Because he's our passion. He's our passion. But here's the one thing about passion. And here's the thing about fire of God. You get around other people that aren't passionate and on fire for God. It starts to rub them wrong. It makes them come to a decision. That's why the devil doesn't like somebody to be hot. That's why I said a few weeks ago, he's more than happy for you to be lukewarm, to be a lukewarm church, to be a lukewarm Christian. Why? Because you're doing his job for him. Why? Because lukewarm is comfortable. It takes us stepping out of our comfort zone to live in a passion, to live in a fire for God. It takes us stepping out of those areas to live that way. How many people when you've ever been dating before did something stupid to catch the attention or to or to bless that person? Anybody? Nobody wants to. All right. All right. Lord, we just we just rebuke that spirit of lying right now in Jesus name. How many people did something stupid? All right, that's better. That's better. So, see, a lot of times I'd rather see somebody do something stupid for the Lord than live lukewarm. And I believe God's that same way. He takes people who are passionate. You know, one day David danced down the streets of Jerusalem, worshiping and praising God. His wife looked out of the window and basically said, You're stupid. You're an idiot. You're the king. What is the king doing that for? God basically backed up David and said, I'm looking for somebody with some passion. Yeah. And his wife, she went into a place that was not good because she carried the wrong heart. It was a lack of passion. It was lukewarm. It was being concerned about those, those things and what the world thinks. G- David was concerned with what God thinks. That's right. A passion. This message is so very important. And the devil doesn't like it. And like I said, I'm happy about that. I'm glad. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, every single one of us, including me, has had times in our life where we have been lukewarm. Every one of us. Man, I fought it for years, being lukewarm. Finally got to the place where I just said, you know what? I don't care. Whatever God wants to do is what I want. And that's when the fire of God comes out of you. That's when the passion of God starts to work for you. That's when miracles take place. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we had two miracles in one day. We had healing, we have souls saved, filled with the Spirit. In four months, four months ago, He told us to pray about your finances. In four months' period of time now, over $240,000 worth of debt has been erased in your life. That's not coincidence. That's the passion and the fire of God manifesting in your lives. And it doesn't matter where you're at right now. If you'll simply turn your heart to God in a humble reverence, you'll find that all he wants to do is turn up the heat inside of your life. And then you'll become a carrier of that passion, of that fire. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 9. What we're looking at, the first week, we kind of looked at the importance of being on fire for God. Last week, we talked about how we need to walk in His ways, not our ways. And His ways say, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled and overflow and baptized in the Holy Ghost and baptized with fire. It's not our ways. You're not going to accomplish the things of God by doing it our way. We're only going to do it by doing it God's way. That's the only way that the fire comes. And if we're not carrying the fire of God and the temperature of God, the heat of God, then we're not producing. Amen. So today we're talking about what brings that fire. What is, what is the thing that produces and backs and fuels that heat of God? So let's look at Proverbs chapter 9 and starting in verse 9. Proverbs 9 verse 9 says this. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. In other words, a wise man, you'll give him instruction, correction, Discipline. You'll give him those things. He will take those things, humble himself to it, change his life, and actually walk out the other side with more wisdom. He says, teach a righteous man, and he will increase in his learning. His ability to grow will, will go that way because he's putting on the right things of God, the righteousness of God. Verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we know from the full counsel of the word that God also told us to fear not, right? So how does this mix? The mix is this. This word here means an extreme reverence. So an extreme reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, when we start to put God first in everything, we become sold out for him. We revere him over our feelings, over our reputation, over what we think. We revere him, his things, his ways. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of it. I say it like this, that we should revere God and have such an extreme reverence for God that some people can mistake it for fear. That's one of the best ways I know to explain it. He says, the fear or the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then he says, for by me, talking about wisdom or the ways of God, for by me, your days will be multiplied. That's a promise. Your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. I think we can take from that that if we don't reverence God, we're not going to fulfill the years multiplied, so it's going to be less. That's what it's saying. We're going to walk in less than what he has for us if we don't decide and make a decision to reverence God in our actions, in our thoughts, in things that we do. We've got to reverence him. Now, if you'll go over to... um, says basically the same thing. Let me just read this to you in Psalms 11, 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And listen to this part. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. In other words, it's not just somebody who amends the preacher or agrees with the scripture. It's somebody who agrees with it, applies it and does it. That's the person who increases. They don't just talk about it. They don't just nod. They do it. They let the things of God change who they are instead of them trying to change the way that God wrote it. They let the full counsel of the word change who they are and change what they do. This is reverencing God. Then we go back to Proverbs 11 In verse 30, Proverbs 11, verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. In other words, when we walk in the right things of God, it produces life. And it's not just like one-time life. It's a tree that constantly produces a fruit of life in our lives. See, when we put on the right things of God, and what is the right things of God? When we reverence Him. When we humbly turn our hearts towards Him and say, Lord, shape me, mold me. Lord, I don't, I'm not going to try to be the clay and tell the potter how to do it. You're the potter. Fix me up. You, you are the master at this. You are the master craftsman. I'm your masterpiece. I want to be your masterpiece. How many people would like to be the masterpiece of God? You see, that's available for each and every one of us because He has a masterpiece that He created you to be. And the thing that you can do is you can walk in that masterpiece. You can become that piece of art that God desired for you to be, or you can never give yourself. See, the beautiful thing, the way God has made this, is that it takes faith to walk in these things in order to become the best that you can be. God gave you the ability to either step into his plan or step out of his plan great reverence we step into his plan with humility and great reverence but if we're will if we're saying yeah but I'm going to tell you how this should look like God I'm going to tell you how I'm going to live for you that's not great reverence that's not great humility that's great pride and all of a sudden where we could have been his masterpiece we step out of the studio. And we leave God in there. And then we tell everybody how it should be on the inside of there. Instead of getting our butt in there and let God do what he does. Yeah. Amen. amen. I just said butt from the pulpits also. Luke would say, say bottom daddy. Yes sir, amen, I hear you. The fruit of a righteous is the tree of life. And he who is wise... Wins souls. He who is wise wins souls. He who is wise wins souls. Now, there's a couple of things that I can say. We can say that the person who wins souls because they're wise and the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom, we can say that the person who wins souls is reverencing God. This is a person who reveres God. Who humbles himself to God. Winning souls starts with a humble reverence to God. You see, I can't be wise. If I'm going to win souls, then I'm wise. But I can't start wise until I start humbling myself before God. So if I want to become somebody who produces fruit in the kingdom, it starts with a humble reverence of God. I'm not the potter. I'm the clay. I willingly and humbly put myself in your hands so that I can then become your masterpiece, Lord. That you can build me into a great living stone over in First uh, Peter. You can build me into a great living stone house. The house of God where each one of us is unique and we have a purpose and every joint supplies but that doesn't just happen. See, God has desired that for us for all of eternity. And yet, it hasn't just happened. It happens when people individually take their heart humbly, present it before God and say, "Mold me, shape me. I want to be your masterpiece." Amen. That means I got to I'm willing to I'm willing to concede, Lord, That I've got some lumps in my life that should, they're out of place. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about eating too much. We got some lumps in our life that God needs to handle. There's some stuff where, you know, and it's not just your fault. I'm not saying it's not your fault. But it's not only your fault. You grew up in a world that was corrupt. You, you probably grew up in a family. I guarantee you none of us have had a father and a mother who knew all that there was to know about God. None of us. We might have had some great moms and dads, but I can guarantee you there's not a one of you That had a mother and a father who knew everything there was to know about God. So even while they were raising us, there was corruption built in to the best father and mother that we know on this earth. There was corruption. There were extra lumps where lumps shouldn't be. We need some spiritual liposuction. I mean, for real. (laughs) We need a heavenly diet of humility and reverence towards God so that things can get back into the place that they need to be. We need some humility to say, Lord, I know I've been taught one way, but that doesn't mean that it's right. I need to go back in here and say, what's right, Lord? What's right? And you know what? I'm not bringing my bias into it. I'm actually bringing a complete humility that says I'll throw away everything I know. And I can go into this word and find out that you are still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you have a plan for me to be the masterpiece of your hand. So that you can get the glory. I couldn't become a masterpiece by myself. It had to take your hand. Isaiah 60 said, Arise, shine, your light has come. And then it says, Nations will come to the rising of the glory of that light on you. That's his plan. We can say that a person that wins souls is reverencing God. Winning souls starts at a humble reverence of God. If you're not winning souls, then that's exactly where I would start checking You should start to check yourself. Am I truly humbling myself and reverencing God on the level that I should be? Because winning souls is a fruit of wisdom that starts at reverencing God and humbling myself before him. Giving myself to be changed by what this word says. Not trying to change the word. John 15, 16, we talked about it each week. It said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I, Jesus talking, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. I appointed you. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. You see, the the result of this almost always is God getting us to the place where you can receive the abundance that he wants you to, to have. That you can be the masterpiece. God's always looking at you and he's trying to get things into your hands. But we end up fighting the very solution because we pridefully think we know some stuff. I had a few years ago, Nicole and I, we were getting ready to go to bed at night. We were talking about something. We'd had some event happen that day, and I just turned to her, and I, I think we had, I'd been pastoring for about six years at that time, something like that. Anyway, I said, I, I really feel like with God, I know nothing. And I'm thinking, that might not be a good statement. I've been pastoring for six years. But yet, that's the best statement that you can make. I told Nicole right after that, I said, Matter of fact, I think that you have a pastor that can't say that. They're not ready to be a pastor. Because you start to understand that the more you learn and the more you know about God, you start. it's like exponentially it starts to grow and you can start to see. You don't know everything and you can't see the details, but you can see further that the the definition of him grows and grows and grows beyond your understanding. You know, when I was 20 and 25, I used to think I about had this thing wrapped up. Then I got to 30 and I was like, I don't think I, uh, no, no, I don't think. Then I got to 35 and I was like, I know I ain't got this thing wrapped up. And about 40, I was like, oh my gosh, who am I? I'm an idiot, you know. That's the way I felt. Because you start to realize there's a lot more to this. It's simple. God loves us. But there's more to this than meets the eye. There's, There's more to it. There's more to it. God, the depths of God are unsearchable. That means there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to know. That means the only way that I continue to grow, I can stop my progress all so fast by saying, I know something. But man, can I move into the depths of God by saying, Lord, compared to who you are, I don't know anything. Teach me, show me, mold me. There's more to you than I can see. There's more to your love, the depths of your love, the depths of your passion, the depths of your fire. There's more to you. I am convinced, you know, a couple years ago, it really started me down this this trail uh, of just examining what is normal to God. Not what's normal to the world. Not what's normal to to us in church, in American church. I don't care about that. Forget about that. What does God call normal? And when you start to examine that and humbly lay yourself out and say, Lord, I don't know anything, he'll start to show you there's so much more. There's so much more. And he'll start to show you, that I believe this to be very true, that some of the greatest moves of God we've had on this earth, and we're not even hitting 10% of what he wants us to be walking in. Amen. That we're barely scratching the surface. How are we going to be good stewards with what God has given if we don't step up into if we, if we stopped at 10%, is that a good steward? Are you kidding me? He's given us the ability through Christ to hit 100%. Why would we ever be satisfied scratching the surface? There's a fire of God to be had. And God really is not satisfied with each one of us unless we're walking in that fire. And here's the good thing. He doesn't wait till you get all your ducks in a row before he starts giving you the temperature and giving you the heat of his passion and the fire of his love. He doesn't wait till that moment. He actually gives us the ability by the Holy Spirit to start stepping into some of that stuff before we even know what we're doing. And you get into it and you're going to mess up. And you're going to trip and fall and stumble the same way that a baby does. You know, we've been talking a lot about praying in the Spirit. Have you ever seen a baby, when they start talking, they just start talking in full, complete, you know, English major sentences? No. Where do they start? Blah, 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 blah. Isn't it funny, when we pray in the Spirit and we first get filled with the Spirit, it's almost the same thing comes out. Blah, 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 blah. And then we learn some more about the Spirit, and we learn how He gives us different syllables and stuff like that. But it's not just praying in the Spirit, it's moving by the Spirit. Praise God that He works with us, and He doesn't wait on us to get perfect. He simply says, will you give me your humility, give me your reverence, give me your heart, and I'll touch you with my presence man, we need the fire of God. Jesus said, look, I've appointed you to produce eternal fruit. And then in in the next scripture in John 4, uh, 36, it says the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit that they harvest are people brought to eternal life. This is wisdom. This is not something we should be making excuses for. This should be the fruit of every believer church, a house of love and prayer, living in abundance, winning souls. It's why it's in our vision. We're all supposed to be about it. Well, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not either. Well, you're a pastor. Well how do you think I got here? Amen. Humbling myself, to that position you might not be called to be a pastor but you're called to be a believer just what jesus said you didn't choose me i chose you are you chosen by god yes you are even if you don't know him he wants to know you revelation 3 15 says i know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot i wish that you were cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth For years, I really thought that lukewarm was middle ground. But in this verse, it shows hot is good, cold is bad, and lukewarm is worse. Because it's the comfortable place. Cold is easy for people to reject. Lukewarm is people's comfort zone. It's easy for them to be lukewarm, comfortable. Their flesh can thrive. In lukewarm the flesh can thrive in lukewarm but it can in hot the fire of God is an all-consuming fire that leaves nothing but the glory of God and free people Even in the fire of Nebuchadnezzar, even in that fire when they threw him in there, even in that fire, the only thing that burnt were the bonds and the people that were trying to bind them. That's what burn up. The fire of God produces a freedom in the lives of people. It brings about the freedom of God. And there's something about the fire of God that it catches. And it brings people to a decision point. The heat of God. It brings people to a place where they have to decide. Am I for God or not? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will. Serve the Lord. And I don't think that he meant lukewarm. I think that he meant that he was going to go after him with all of his heart. That he was on fire for God. That he would humble himself and reverence himself in front of God. So that God could create him to be the masterpiece that is the Joshua that we know. We need the fire of God. And we don't just need it on our preacher. We need it on every single believer. Every believer. We need the fire of God. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. We need the healing touch of God. We need the protection of God. We need the restoration of God. You know what? You know what he says to all of that? Yes and amen. But I need a heart that I can show myself strong through them. I need somebody who will give me all of themselves, stop making excuses for it, get out of being lukewarm, and be hot for God. I need somebody there. And we're not just talking about the preacher. We're talking about believers. We need somebody Who's not ashamed of the things of God, of the ways of God, of what God's up to. Matter of fact, he defends it. You're not going to walk in the victory that you don't defend the promise in other words, you want healing, but you let everybody talk about, you know, sickness and disease, and you don't stand up for healing, and you don't make up your mind, God is my healer, that's hot, I'm going after that, God's my healer. It's going to be hard for you to walk in it, because even if you receive it, you'll step right back out of it. If you don't stand up for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to walk in the power, the comfort, the teaching that the Holy Spirit has for you. And you're not going to be the witnesses that he's called you to be because you haven't made up your mind in that area Then I'm hot for the Lord. Every area of God, healer, deliverer. Every piece of Him being the Savior in our life, we have to make up our mind. And this is something the heat of God does. It starts to refine the material. It starts to separate what's true and real from the garbage of a corrupted life and a corrupted earth and a corrupted raising. And those who then at that moment humble themselves to the reverence of God, allow themselves to to be refined into the purity of what God has for them. And then all of a sudden they become very useful in the kingdom of God. But it's hard for them to be useful until they've given themselves over in such a heated stance for the things and the life of God. And... and I think it's 2 Chronicles 16, 9 maybe, where it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for someone who he, he might show himself strong on their behalf, whose heart is perfect and pure towards him. See, that heart that's pure and perfect towards him is one that doesn't make excuses for the things of God, but actually says, Lord, I'm yours, I'm the clay, you're the potter, mold me. Knock the lumps off, knock the corruption off, knock my weird thinking off. This world does not think the way God thinks. we got to get into that, not bring God and fit it into the way we think. It doesn't work that way. What fuels the fire of God? What fuels the fire of God is the passion of God. And his love he says this in 1st John chapter 4 and verse 18 he says we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us God is love God is love he says and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him John 14 21 says he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. If I ask you who in here loves God, I think every one of us would raise our hand. I don't think there's anybody in here this morning that wouldn't raise their hand that we love God. But God says, I'm not, I'm, your love is not defined by whether or not you'll raise your hand in a crowd. Your love is defined by have you given yourself to me enough to do what I've told you to do? Yeah. That defines Your love. I can tell you by this scripture, if you don't follow the commands of God, you don't love God. I'm not the one who said it. He commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. He commanded us to win souls. He commanded us to be hot. So what we've got to check is not, does God love us? We know that. What we've got to check is, am I actually manifesting the love of God? Or am I making excuses for it? Am I hot for Him? God's passion is souls. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, it says, He desires all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, He's not wishing for any to perish. The passion of God and the love of God is that every person would be saved. But how are they going to be saved if he doesn't have a people that gives themselves to to win souls. That gives themselves as clay in the potter's hand to become his masterpiece. That steps out of the lukewarmness and into the heat and the temperature of God. who, Who doesn't give themselves towards being all in. How many of you have ever been in a situation where it became apparent that you were lukewarm for God and then you waited and you waited and you didn't move on it besides me. You, you found out I, I'm not as hot for God as what I thought I was. And yet even then we didn't move on it right away because we're fearful of moving into new things. The world has taught us, well don't step out, don't be a fanatic. Now we can go to the Panthers game and do that. Like the Panthers are of a greater thing than God is. But don't be a fanatic for God. My Lord, that's exactly what his word tells us to do. Right. That's right. If anything, if ever there was something to be a fanatic and be fanatical over, it's God to walk in His great love and worship Him and be able to walk in the heat and the fire of God no matter who's watching in order to carry the things of God where you get your heart perfect so that God can show Himself strong on your behalf so that you can do exploits that God has for you. But it only comes through somebody who makes themselves available for the fire. I'm telling you, tonight at 4 p.m., you don't want to miss it because we're going to be stepping into this. You're stepping into it now, too. But don't miss it. How much does this passion for people drive God enough to give his son for? The question then becomes, how much is this passion supposed to drive us? Enough to give our life for. Enough to take our life and to crucify it daily. You know what that life is? It's not putting somebody, it's not just putting gas in somebody's car or holding the door for somebody. Crucifying your life is crucifying the flesh that would keep you in being lukewarm. It's crucifying my way of thinking. It's not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind that tells us to be hot for God, to be on fire for him, to be bold and confident and win souls, to be an ambassador for the things of God who's worthy to be praised. That's what it is. How much does this love drive God enough to give up his son? How much should this passion and love drive us enough to crucify our flesh daily just like Jesus did? How much does this passion drive Jesus? Enough to leave the comfort zone of heaven. Enough to come to a world of sinners and enemies. To love them, have them mock and ridicule him, beat him, and kill him. To die a gruesome death for them, to be rejected by the Father. How much does Jesus believe in being passionate and allowing the love for people to drive him enough to step out from the father and say I know you're going to reject me and turn your back on me but because of your love for them and my passion for them for your creation made in your image I will allow myself to be completely separated from you father that's where his passion drove him And then if you go into Romans, it says, and he wasn't even resurrected until those people that were enemies and sinners were declared righteous by God. In other words, he stayed in the grave until that's what brought him up out of the grave. When God said, those enemies and sinners, because of the grace and the mercy and the love and the passion of Jesus, the heat and the fire of his love, because of that, I declare them righteous. And that's when he came up out of the grave. If we don't have a passion for those around us that are dying and going to hell, there, there's a part of his love and his passion that we are missing. There's a reverence of God, a reverence for what he considers most important that we're missing. See, the truth be told, in most of the American church, not just this one, if right now I had somebody that walked up here and said, I want to be born again, lead me to Jesus, most of us could not lead that person to Jesus. I'm not telling a lie. Most of us probably in this room would not even know how to do it. In other words, something that Jesus and the Father considers so Uh, much a part of who he is and the passion and the love we haven't even taken the time to learn how to do it do we love God if we're love is what we when we keep his commandments do we love him or do we just raise our hand and smile that we do see this has been the problem with America this has been the downfall of the church And I'm telling you right now that the church is rising up. There's becoming a separation right now in the church. And it's dividing between who is hot and who is lukewarm. You're seeing a division right now between the goats and the sheep. The one who have given themselves to a shepherd and the ones who are just in there to butt heads. And the heat of God is rising up. And there's some that are grabbing a hold of it and saying, I'm tired of seeing what the world calls normal. I want to see what God calls normal. I want to see the power of God. I don't want to make excuses for it anymore. I want to see God the way he declared it in his word. I want to see it. And if that's not the cry of your heart at this point, when the Holy Spirit's drawing on that, this is what you need to check. Do you really love God? Because to the people that love God, he's putting this in his heart. And even if you do love God, on some level, we've probably been pushing that thought away. And we've got to humble ourselves and say, you're the potter, I'm the clay. But when we reverence him and his passion for souls, his fire starts to burn in. Just close your eyes for a second. When we reverence him and his passion for souls, his fire starts to burn in us. When we humble ourselves to whatever he desires, we place ourselves in the very fire of God, ready to be lit by his holy fire, burning by the fuel of his love, And the fresh oil of the Holy Spirit. It comes through a hunger and a placement. A humility. Hunger and humility. Hunger and humility. And if we're not there already, then we're missing one of those things. Hunger and humility. And you got to ask ourselves, why would we be missing that when we had a Savior that died for us? Why would we be missing that? Lord, I repent. I'm changing for not hungering and not being humbled to go after your things. There's got to be something inside of us that says, I don't care if nobody else in Albemarle is going after God. I will go after God. I don't care if everybody in North Carolina rejected him. I will go after him. I will hunger for you, God. I will humble myself, and if we haven't been there before, then we've got to repent and say, I should have been there already. I'm sorry, Lord, that I missed it, but I'm here now. Use me. Use me, Lord. Use me. Send me. I need to be used by you. I need to be used by you, Lord. I need your fire. I need the heat of God. The heart that would not repent for a lack of hunger and lack of humility is one that's hardened towards him. And that's where you turn to him and you say, Lord, help me. I know I don't even want to repent, but help me, Lord. I throw myself on your throne of grace. I'm sorry for being uh, not hungry. I'm sorry for not being humble before now. I don't even know how to really even be sorry for it. But I want to be. Lord, I need you. I'm not going to pull you up in front of the room and I want everybody to keep your eyes closed right now. But if you're sitting there right now and you're like, "I, I want to be sorry, but I'm not even sorry right now. Pastor Brian, will you pray for me? I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm just going to pray for you. If that's you right now, we just lift your hand quickly just till I say amen. Amen, I see that. I see that. Amen, I see that. Anyone else? And I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that the strength of the Lord comes in and helps you to see. And helps you to feel the heart of God. I'm going to ask for you to have an encounter with Jesus like you've never had before. It's part of what we're going to be talking about tonight. So before we move any further, if you're sitting there and you're going, I I don't even feel sorry. And I I know I need to. I just, I don't. I need, will you pray for me? Lift your hand quickly. Amen. I see that. Amen. I see that. I see that. Anyone else? anyone else and I just let, let's all just pray this right now just say father I repent we repent as a people who have not been as hungry and as humble as we need to father we need your fire we need the separation From the corrupted world into the fire of your kingdom. We throw ourselves on the grace of your throne. And so help us in our time of need, Jesus. And I can tell you the Lord says this. He says that we have such a great high priest with a passion who knows the pulls of the flesh. He understands those things. He sees you right where you're at. And we have an advocate with the Father. We have somebody on His side that's there. Jesus is there praying for you. As soon as you turn your heart towards that and say, I need your help. Right then, the passion of Jesus engages at the throne of God. And you start to hear the whispers of God's spirit in you saying, I hear you. I love you. I'm helping you. I'm praying for you right now. What a great priest we have. Glory to God. Father, touch your people.